It's good to be able to worship again tonight. I hope you have your Bibles with you, and I would encourage you to open them to uh, the Old Testament tonight in the book of Leviticus, and we'll be looking at a little, in just a few minutes, at a context in Leviticus chapter 10. Tonight we want to talk just a little bit about respecting the authority of God and his word. And when we talk about respecting the authority of God and his word, what we mean by that is basically this, that we're going to do exactly what God says in the way God says, in the way God says it, without any addition or subtraction on our part. We may not realize it right offhand, but whenever we take the will of God and we begin to alter it, even in the slightest way, that really ceases to be his will and it begins to become ours. We begin to do what we want instead of what God wants. And the truth of the matter is that we really don't have the right to do that. Remember the language of Romans uh, Romans chapter 11 as Paul is talking to the, Gent- uh, the Jews And he talks about the fact that the potter has the power over the clay and not the other way around. We're the creation, and he is our creator. Remember Psalm 100 says, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And so if we try to put ourselves in his position and alter his will in some way or another, then we turn the tables in a way that is inappropriate. Now, I want you to think about this with me just for a moment. When God made man and placed him in the garden, God told man, you can eat of every tree of, in this garden except for one. You can't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So man had the authority to eat of whatever they wanted except for the one tree. Let me ask you a question. Did God mean what he said on that occasion? And was God serious about it? When God says you can only eat excuse me, you can eat of every tree except this one. Did he mean what he said and was he serious about it? Well, ask Adam and Eve if they thought that he was serious about it. Genesis chapter 3 tells us that, that God cursed the ground for their sake, that they were expelled from the garden because of it, because of their violation of the will of God. And the Bible tells us in Romans 5 verse 12, therefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death is passed on all men because all have sinned. What was the result of their violation of the will of God in the garden in Genesis chapter 3? Well, it was death and it was separation. And so was God serious about his instructions to Adam and Eve in the garden? Yes, he was very serious about those instructions. And they didn't respect his authority and so they fell under condemnation because of it. Now it's true that God is not going to speak directly to you or me or anybody else today in the same way that he spoke to Adam and Eve in the garden. But it is also true that whenever we open up this book and we read the words of this book, that God speaks to us through the words of the Bible in just the same way as he spoke to Adam and Eve and Abraham and so many others We can't hear him because he's not speaking to us verbally, but he speaks to us through this word. And the words that are recorded for us in scripture are just as authoritative as if God were standing in this room speaking to us verbally tonight. You remember the passages, uh, 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 and 17, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. 
that it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness. And you remember 2 Peter 1, verse 20 and 21, where Peter talks about Scripture, and he talks about the origin of Scripture, and he says, no Scripture is of any private interpretation. And what he means by that is that the words that we're reading in the pages of God's Word, they did not originate within the minds of the men whom God employed to write these down. When he says no scripture is of any private interpretation, he means it did not originate within the minds of men, but he says, holy men of God spake as they were what? Can you finish it? As they were moved along or inspired by the Holy Spirit. So the Bible that we have in our hands, it is the inspired, authoritative word of God And when we talk about respecting the authority of God and respecting the authority of his word, we've got to recognize, first of all, that God takes that very seriously. He says what he means and he means what he says. But second of all, we've got to recognize that to respect God and his word means that we do what God says in the way that God says it without addition or subtraction as it is recorded in the scripture as it is recorded in God's word. Now what I'd like for us to do tonight, just to highlight the point, is I would like for us to consider four examples from the Old Testament that are going to be familiar to all of us. And the reason that I want us to just briefly consider these is really by way of reminder. And these examples will help simply to remind us of the fact that God takes it very seriously that we respect his authority and that we respect the authority of his word. And if you have your Bibles opened already to Leviticus chapter 10, you probably already know what we're going to be looking at first of all. That's Nadab and Abihu. Leviticus chapter 10 verse 1 and following, you remember the account. The Bible tells us that Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, and they put incense on it, and they offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses spake to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near to me I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. I want to suggest to you that to fully appreciate what's happening in Leviticus chapter 10 verses 1 through 3, it is important to just note what's happening in the overall context of this occasion. Go back, really, you could go back all the way to the book of Exodus, and we'll talk about that more in just a minute, but I want you to just turn back a page or two to Leviticus chapter 8. Do you remember what happens in Leviticus chapter 8 and in Leviticus chapter 9? In Leviticus chapter 8 and 9, we have the consecration of the priesthood. God gives the laws for all of the offerings and such in the first seven chapters of Leviticus. And then in chapter 8, after having concluded that instruction, he speaks, the Lord speaks to Moses in verse 1 of chapter 8 and says, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments and the anointing oil, a bull as the sin offering, two rams and a basket of unleavened bread, and gather all the congregation together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And so Moses did exactly what God told him to do in verse 4. And Moses then in verse 6 begins the process of consecrating Aaron and his sons to serve in the office of the priesthood and the high priest. And you'll notice, by the way, in verse 1 and uh, through 3 of Leviticus chapter 8, 
This is not something that's taking place with just Aaron and just Moses and nobody sees it. He says, you gather the congregation of the children of Israel before the tabernacle of meeting and you do all of this and so he does. And then in chapter 9, the priestly ministry begins with what we'll just call a congregational offering. Aaron and his sons, they go through the process that God has outlined for them already, and they offer sacrifice, as God has said. And I want you to pick up with me at the end of Leviticus chapter 9, verse 22, and let's just start reading together. This is what the Bible says. Then Aaron lifted his hand toward the people and blessed them and came down from offering the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting, and they came out and they blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and put incense in it and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Do you see the contextual flow? When we read about Nadab and Abihu in Leviticus chapter 10, we're not reading about an incident that happens off in a field somewhere away from everybody, some sort of isolated incident that isn't connected to anything at all. It's in direct connection with the previous context. God has told them what he wanted. God has told him how he wanted it done. And his glory had appeared before them and had appeared before all the people in a very public way as is recorded at the end of uh, Leviticus chapter 9. And if you even go back to the book of Exodus, you remember that the last uh, section of that book, God outlines his will for the construction of the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle and the priest garments and the function of the priesthood. And then we get into Leviticus and we have the outline of God's will for the sacrifices and for the offerings. So when we get to Leviticus chapter 8, chapter 9... We're starting to see, we're starting to see the, the culmination of all of the things that God has instructed. And so now after giving all of these instructions and after his presence being known and seen by all the people at the end of chapter 9, then in that context, Nadab and Abihu offer strange fire before the Lord. And how serious did God take that? How serious was he about that? Exodus chapter 30, verse 9 and 10, by the way, explicitly condemns strange fire being offered before the Lord. And the Bible tells us that God looked so seriously upon what they did in Leviticus chapter 10 that fire came down from the Lord and devoured him. Is it important to respect the authority of God and the authority of his word? Yes, Does God mean what he says? Absolutely. Should I be interested in doing exactly what God says in the way that God says it without addition or subtraction? Ask Nadab and Abihu and they would say, yes, you should be very interested in that and you should pay close attention to it. Let's look at another example. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 13 and I want us to notice what's happening in 1 Samuel chapter 13 and about verse number 9. We're reading about Saul... King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse number 9. And what's happening in 1 Samuel chapter 13 is that Saul is going to offer sacrifice that is unlawful for him to offer. The Bible tells us we pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 13 and we're in verse uh, number 8. 
And the Bible says that as for Saul, when he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling, then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel, but Samuel didn't come to Gilgal. And so all the people were scattered from him. And so Saul said, bring a burnt offering and a peace offering here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. And uh, now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him and that, uh, excuse me, meet him that he might greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? Saul said, well, it's the people. I saw them and they were scattered from me. And you didn't come in the day appointed. You told me, and you can read about this Uh, in uh, chapter 9. You told me that you'd be here within a seven-day period and you weren't here. And so the people were getting antsy and listen, I went ahead and I look at verse, look at verse number 12. I have not, listen, therefore I felt compelled and I offered a burnt offering. Well, what Saul has done in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 9, is he has violated the authority of God because Saul has offered a sacrifice that he was not authorized to offer. Now, part of what's going on here is his impatience. Another part of what's going on here is his pride, and we see more about that a couple of chapters later in chapter uh, number 15. Whenever God gives Saul explicit instructions about the destruction of the Amalekites and Saul refuses to carry those instructions out. And you remember that when Samuel comes uh, to greet Saul, Saul goes out and meets him and he says, I have done the will of God. And Saul and Samuel says, uh, oh really, then what's this noise of the sheep that I hear and all the people and so on and so forth. And what it real, really boils down to in that chapter is Samuel will say, listen, when you were small in your own sight, then you were a whole lot better of a person. But the implication is what? Now you're not so small in your own sight. Now you're prideful and his pride is going to be his downfall. This occasion in 1 Samuel 13 is one of the three times in Saul's life where it will be told to him, you've lost the kingdom. It's going to be taken away from you. And the reason is because he violated the will of God. Now let's make one more point about this. Maybe uh, you're familiar or you've heard discussions at one time or another about silence, Bible silence. And you know the old thing goes, well, what if God didn't say not do it? Is there any verse in all of the Old Testament where God says, the king shall not offer sacrifice? Is that verse there? That verse is not, there's no verse in the Old Testament that Saul could have turned to, which by the way, the Bible tells us in Deuteronomy 17, 15 and following that kings were required to have a copy of the law of God in their possession. Saul could have opened up that law, he could have read, and would he have found a a passage that said, Saul, you cannot offer sacrifice. He wouldn't have found that passage. But what he did find over and over again was passage after passage after passage that says, this is a job that belongs to the priests. This is a job that belongs to the Levites. Listen, Bible silence is not authoritative. Implication binds, silence forbids, and it's very important that we're mindful of this doctrine of the silence of the scriptures because I would suggest to you that whenever folks begin to say things that, well, we'll just use the language of Scripture. Whenever folks start offering strange fire, one of the things usually that begins to happen with offering strange fire, either by their worship or maybe even by their writing or preaching or teaching, is that they begin to turn away from what the Bible teaches about 
biblical silence. The problem with 1 Samuel chapter 13 is that Saul violated the will of God. He did not understand that silence was not permissive. And just because God didn't say, Saul, don't do it, didn't mean that Saul had the authority to do it. Let's look at a third example. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 26 for a moment. 2 Chronicles chapter 26, and in this section we read about a name by the name of Uzziah. King Uzziah in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. And when you begin reading about the beginning of his reign, it's actually quite remarkable. Listen to 2 Chronicles 26 beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, Now all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. He built Elath and restored it to Judah after the king rested with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. He reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And notice this, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Do you see the disclaimer? As long as Uzziah sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. Well, skip down in the chapter and zoom in on verse number 15. In 2 Chronicles 26, verse 15, here's what the Bible says about, actually, let's begin in verse, oh, let's begin in verse 14. Uzziah prepared for them for the entire army shields and spears and helmets and body armor and bows and slings to cast stones. He made devices in Jerusalem invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and large stones. So his fame spread far and wide, for he was marvelously helped Till he became strong. Isaiah was evidently very talented. He was remarkable in terms of military technology. And he was very successful in all of this. And remember that the Bible told us in verse number 5, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. And then in verse number 15, the Bible tells us he was marvelously helped until he became strong. What does it mean until he became strong? He's talking about his pride. Because verse 16 says, when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction because he transgressed against the law of his God by entering into the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. And we read about Azariah, the priest, who went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men, and they withstood King Uzziah. And they said to him, it is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary. You have trespassed. You shall have no honor from the Lord. King Uzziah is walking down the same path that Saul walked down in 1 Samuel chapter 13. King Uzziah is overcome by his pride. And the Bible says in Proverbs 16 verse 18 that pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And mark it down, whenever a person is unwilling to respect the authority of God and his word, the reason for that is pride. Sometime in your New Testament, go and read the end of James chapter 3 and the beginning of James chapter 4 and notice how James talks about conflict and how James talks about war and fighting and so on. And he talks about how all of this comes to fruition because of this wisdom that is from below, that is devilish and that is sensual. And he describes it as being, well, as being prideful. And then James will describe the antidote to that in about the middle of James chapter 4, and that's when he'll say, humble yourself 
under the mighty hand of God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit yourself to God, James will say. Pride comes before destruction. Pride will never submit to the authority of God. And that's the problem with Isaiah, just like it was the problem with Saul. One more illustration and we'll draw this to a close. What about 1 Chronicles chapter 13? We talked about Uzziah, but what about Uzzah? Maybe you remember Uzzah. The ark of God is brought back into Jerusalem once David takes the throne. And, and um, it's been uh, in the custody of the Philistines uh, for a time. And now it's finally going back. And you remember in First Chronicles 13 that David, that he makes a big deal about it. And they build a new card and they have a big uh, parade essentially. And they're really going all out because the ark of God is coming back to dwell within the people of God. And you remember the story that the oxen stumble in First Chronicles 13 and Uzzah reaches up his hand to steady the cart and he dies. Why did Uzzah lose his life whenever he reached up his hand? Because it was not lawful for the ark of God to be transported in that way. It wasn't lawful for Uzzah to reach up and touch the thing. Listen, Uzzah, I'm con- Uzzah didn't wake up that morning and say, I'm going to do something nefarious and I'm going to circumvent the will of God. That's not what his mindset was. He didn't do anything intentionally evil. But what he did was he violated the authority of God. This is a great example to look to whenever we talk about emotion and whenever we talk about feelings. And sometimes people begin to get lost in their own thoughts and in their own ideas. I know this is what the Bible says, but what if this and could it be that? And I really think this and I really feel that. Listen, Uzzah felt he was doing the right thing. There's no question in my mind about that. But feelings are not authoritative. God is authoritative, and the Word of God is authoritative. And what we learn from Nadab and Abihu and from Saul and from Uzziah and from Uzzah, among many other things, is that it's very, very serious. God looks at it very seriously, that we respect his authority and that we respect his will. It doesn't matter what it is that we're talking about. Remember Colossians 3, verse 17, the Bible says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Listen, our mindset should always be, our mindset should always be, whatever the question is, whatever the practice is, where is the authority? Has God authorized this? Has God spoken on this matter? What does the Bible say? If there's authority in God's word, then the action is authorized. If there's not authority in God's word, if the action is unauthorized, then we don't need to do it. It doesn't matter really what we think about it or how we feel about it. The the end of the story, the period, the exclamation point is God and his word. And if we're going to respect his authority, then that's going to have to be good enough for us. So I want to ask you tonight, as you think about your life and about how you're living your life, can you say that you are living in such a way that respects the authority of God, that recognizes that God and his word is the authority, that the buck stops here, this book is the final word on everything, and so if I, don't have, uh, if I don't have authority from God, I'm not going to think it or say it or do it. 
Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Colossians 3 and verse 17. If you're not living your life according to that principle, then you need to change. You need to change. And if you don't believe me, just go back and ask Saul and Uzziah and Uzzah and Nadab and Abihu, and they'll tell you, they will tell you through the word of God, yes, change the way that you think and change the way that you live and live in a way that respects God's authority. We're going to offer the Lord's invitation tonight, and maybe tonight you have a need to respond, perhaps to become a Christian, or maybe you are a Christian and you need to make some changes and some improvements in your life, then we invite you to come and let that be known while together we stand and sing the invitation song together.